0: Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel.
1: Enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. I'm Kyle Longton, and with me is... Anna Wolfart. Hannah Today, AFSA talks about a difficult, but unfortunately timely topic, and that's opioid use disorder and overdoses. And we're doing this in conjunction. This episode is coming out on August 30th, and that is one day before um, International Overdose Awareness Day, which is um, on... Sorry. Don't worry about it. This episode is coming out on August 30th, and that's one day before International Overdose Awareness Day, and that is um, a campaign to end overdoses. And a lot of what we talk about in the U.S. are overdoses with opioids, which is what we're going to focus on today. But this conversation, while it's going to be a really good in-depth discussion, it's not the only thing that we're putting out there to help members understand uh, opioid use disorder and, and the ways to to deal with that in the support programs we have Um, you're you're doing something else as well right
2: yeah
0: we have a blog that's out and the link will be in the show notes to that um, which is about
1: you know keeping opioids safe in a safe space the misuse of opioids by teens um, everything surrounding opioids and helping to
0: contribute to the conversation around this epidemic
1: absolutely and we're going to talk about that epidemic and safe use Safe storage and so forth um, in depth with our guests today. And I, I think we're going to have probably a longer episode because we have a lot of ground to cover. So uh, I'm going to jump right into our uh, to introducing our guests and then to our conversation. Our guests today are Catherine Lurk and Becky Parker. Catherine Lurk is the clinical pharmacist and manager of business development with Trestle Tree, a health transformation company. She heard, earned her doctor of pharmacy degree from the University of Missouri, Kansas City and has employed her skills with Trestle Tree for the last six years. Catherine supports a team of health coaches, clients, and participants to optimize clinical outcomes and solve drug-related problems. She also brings her clinical expertise to the business team linking the Trestletree Tree model to sound clinical outcomes and sustainable health improvements. We'll also hear from Becky Parker, who is a clinical psychologist and chief training officer for Trestle Tree. She received her PhD from the University of Arkansas and has focused her career on helping individuals make difficult changes, including around substance use. She spent the last 15 years at Trestle Tree, where healthcare professionals bring health and hope to individuals, including many of our AFSPA members. So, Catherine and Becky, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks so much for having us. It's a
2: pleasure to be with you here today. Thanks. We're grateful to be here.
1: And, and we're glad to have you all. This This episode is coming out on August 30th, which is one day before International Overdose Awareness Day, which is described as the world's largest annual campaign to end overdose. Remember without stigma, those who have died and acknowledge the grief of family members and friends who are left behind. Um, Catherine, I want to turn to you as as the pharmacist and, and with the expertise in this area, but We've heard a lot um, over the last year and a half, of course, about the COVID pandemic, and that has kind of driven information about the overdose crisis from the headlines, but it doesn't mean that things have gotten better with with overdoses. Can you talk through some of the statistics for us on on opioid use and overdose?
0: Sure, absolutely. I mean, the the statistics continue to be staggering. Since 1999, nearly 900,000 people have died from drug overdoses, including both intentional and unintentional. Opioids continue to be the main driver of drug overdoses with the synthetic opioids involved in 72.9% of those deaths. And last proof that we haven't solved this problem to date, Uh, in 2020, provisional data accounted for more than 93,000 deaths from overdose, which is the highest number since 1999, and an increase of almost 30% since 2019.
1: And and in recent years, much of the conversation around overdoses has has been focused on opioids and and for good reason, given the statistics you just shared, Uh, and that's going to be our focus today. The numbers show that opioids are still the leading cause of overdose deaths. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with this, who may have grown numb to the headlines, even I want to get started with some basics. So can you tell us a little bit about why opioids are prescribed?
0: Sure. So opioids are commonly used as medications because they contain chemicals. Some of those are natural, some synthetic created by scientists in a lab, Um, but the chemicals relax the body and can relieve pain, uh, which is the primary use for an opioid medication, um, mostly used to treat both moderate and severe pain. Although occasionally opioids can also be used to treat a cough or diarrhea.
1: Interesting. And, and you Before we get into some specifics, can you tell us about the the science behind it, essentially how do opioids work within the body?
0: Sure, so opioids bind to and activate opioid receptors on cells that are located in many areas of the body, including the brain, the spinal cord, and other organs in the body, especially those who are involved in feelings of pain and or pleasure. When opioids attach to certain receptors, they, their purpose is to block pain signals that are sent from the brain down to the body That's that are meant to alert someone of their pain. Additionally, binding to the receptor causes the release of a large amount of a hormone called dopamine, which is known as the feel-good hormone in the body, um, and, and that's released then throughout the body as well.
1: And I, I think you're already taking us in this direction. So I want to ask what makes them addictive. Uh, if it's releasing something that makes you feel good. I, I think that <laughs> that is a place to start, but can you tell us a little bit more?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, it's very pertinent to understand as we talk about um, how opioids are both meant for medical use, but also have this risk for addiction. And so um, we do know that opioids are addictive because aside from relieving pain, they also trigger the reward system in the brain. And the reward system drives us to repeat natural things we enjoy or need to do to survive, such as eating when we're hungry. And so, by fulfilling those natural desires, uh, it causes the release of dopamine, which gives us that reward, that sense of calm, that sense of pleasure. And so, with continued opioid use over time, the brain can become rewired, requiring higher levels of dopamine to feel satisfied. And in fact, over time, the brain can require more and more dopamine just to create a feeling of normalcy. Okay.
1: So, we're we're talking about you mentioned this can require more and more, and and I feel like that leads us in the direction of addiction or what we sometimes now call um, substance misuse or substance use disorder. Can you tell us a little bit about what are the signs of addiction? How would we recognize it in ourselves, or maybe more relevantly, how would we recognize it in others?
0: Absolutely. So, drug addiction is actually considered a chronic disease. That is characterized by compulsive or uncontrollable drug seeking and use without a legitimate medical purpose And, and that's really key is that it is without legitimate medical purpose, despite harmful consequences and behaviors, it is important to keep in mind that addiction can occur with both prescription and illicit drugs. Some specific signs of addiction may include things like taking a prescribed opioid more often or in higher doses than may be prescribed by a physician, taking someone else's prescription medication, taking a medication because of the good feeling it causes or the high and and not for, again, legitimate medical purpose. Continued use of opioid medication despite job loss, money problems, other significant Significant hardships in life, That someone continues to prioritize opioid use over those important things. Uh, someone may try to stop or cut down on opioid use and, and find that they're unsuccessful at doing so. Finding that they are putting opioids first and they're hurting relationships with family and friends. And that, that those parts of their lives are, are, are failing despite that continued desire to, to take an opioid. Also developing a tolerance and needing more and more opioid to to get that high. Um, Again, there's a natural dependence as well that can can occur with long-term use of opioids for pain. Um, But again, we're we're talking specifically about getting that high and increasing our doses to get the high. Also experiencing really strong cravings for opioid and and really feeling compelled to continue taking them. And finally, actual experience of an overdose can be a major um, sign that
2: someone has a problem with addiction. And and Kyle, one thing I would add to what Catherine said is that problems with substances can be sneaky, um, meaning they sneak up on us before we even know it. And that is the nature of addiction. We don't ever believe that it's going to happen to us uh, and yet it can and it does. And so I think having your eyes wide open about this possibility and asking trusted others to look for some of these early signs that Catherine mentioned uh, can really be invaluable.
1: And and I appreciate you both sort of coming from the the clinical side, both on the the pharmacy um, expertise as well as the psychology expertise. And so Becky, I want to turn to you now and talk a little bit about ways to prevent addiction. And we can talk more Catherine uh, as well about some management programs later and so forth, but Becky, what would what would you say about this this option or this this possibility I should say of preventing addiction?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's a number of things that come to my mind about preventing a, addiction. First is uh, be sure to follow through with all of your doctor's recommendations around medication. So for example, Don't take more opioids uh, than prescribed. Don't take them more often than prescribed. Uh, You don't want to stop or change a dose without talking to your doctor first. And also be aware of things such as potential interactions with other medications or even alcohol. Um, I think second help, be proactive and be informed. Um, We encourage people to ask a lot of questions uh, about their uh, pain and their medication, including opioids, with their doctor. We encourage people to know the benefits and risks of opioids even before they've taken the opioid Um, and understand what to expect. And I think this is is a really big one. For example, some people expect that they shouldn't have any pain. And so they may take more opioids to get rid of the pain, or even on occasion, they'll take the opioids early to get in front of the pain. What we know is that pain is informative, and the goal is not to, to always get rid of the pain. Um, the, the last thing I would say here is there are a lot of additional pain management strategies That can complicate or, excuse me, complement medications or be used in place of medications sometimes. Um, When people use these additional pain management strategies, sometimes we see that they actually use fewer opioids, they may go longer. Between taking the pills, or they may even use them for an overall shorter period if they're using some of these other pain management strategies. So, again, we encourage people to talk with their doctor about these alternative pain management strategies. Or, I know as we'll talk, uh, your members can even talk with a health coach um, to work on some of these additional pain management strategies.
1: And I think that that's a great opening you mentioned sort of what you and your, your colleagues coach our members on and, um, you know, Trestle tree does handle the, the coaching for our members, mm-hmm. the telephonic coaching, but one of the programs that's obviously relevant today on which Aspen Trestle tree work together is aimed at reducing opioid risk and helping members better manage their pain. And I really appreciate mm-hmm. you saying that, you know, pain's going to happen. We, we shouldn't mm-hmm. expect to have no pain, particularly around surgeries and so forth. Um, but managing it is the key. So Can you tell us more, what does this program look like? How do the coaches approach the the conversations around pain, both before planned surgery and in the context of managing it after an accident or after a surgery? Sure. So
2: it's a great program that we have with AFSPA. And it's a prevention program, really. So, Kyle, there was a 2017 study by Shaw, Hayes, and Martin and it looked at the health records of over 1 million uh, patients who had not taken an opioid recently. And among people who were prescribed at least one day of opioids, the probability of them still being on an opioid one year later was 6%. What was staggering about this study was that if someone was prescribed at least eight days of opioids, that risk of still using opioids a year later jumped to over 13%. And if someone was prescribed over 30 days of opioids, that jumped again to over 30%. And the biggest increase was actually after just five days. And and I share this with you because this was a a big impetus for the the program that, that we offer to your members. There are great efforts to to limit opioid prescriptions, and and I know that you guys have some, some great efforts ar- around that, and also there's great treatment efforts. Um, we saw an opportunity to actually focus on uh, prevention when someone first gets that opioid prescribed to them. What this research tells us is that it's really important to help people within the few, first few days of starting an opioid in order to prevent misuse down the road. Um, So in regard to the the actual program, there's really a a number of ways that someone may benefit from the program. One you mentioned is if someone is being pre-certified for a surgery, uh, their, um, uh, their care manager, their case manager can actually refer them over to Trestle Tree Health Coaches to help get them ready for the surgery and then actually to continue with them to help them manage pain after surgery. So if a member is working with a Trust Tree Health Coach pre-surgery, they'll talk about their experiences with pain and opioids, And also things such as expectations, desires, fears, social support, um, all of those things that that will help someone um, start to think about the the surgery and and how they're going to manage pain afterward. Um, The coach will work with the member to come up with a list of questions for the doctor around both opioids and pain. And they'll also start to really prepare for post-surgery, where the focus will be on and, uh, following through with physician directives and also with the, the pain management strategies. Um, now, there's two other other ways that someone could benefit from the program other than surgery. Um, one is that if someone is, is struggling with chronic pain, such as musculoskeletal, back, uh, hips, knees, and so on, um, uh, that's a great time to, to connect with a coach and, and to work on um, pain management. Another is if someone's filling a a prescription for any reason. So um, one of the great things is we actually uh, outreach to your members to let them know about the program. So I do encourage them if they get a call from Trestle Tree and any of these apply to you, you've recently had an opioid um, script filled or you're struggling with chronic pain or you're you're faced with a surgery, we'd, we'd encourage you to connect with the coach. Now, one one other thing that I'd say, a big part of these strategies, or excuse me, programs, as you mentioned, is the pain management strategies. So in this program, based on each member's unique health and life story, they'll work with their health coach to identify and implement some of these pain management strategies just for them. What we know is that no size fits all. Um, Some of the pain management strategies could include stress management, mindfulness, meditation, distraction techniques. Um, They can also include physical things like exercise, relaxation, deep breathing, yoga, heat or cold therapy. And even things like weight and sleep management, Um, the important thing is that these things fit into that member's life, and that they're things that they can use to help manage their pain.
1: And I so appreciate that approach, because you're looking at the whole person, it is not Mm -hmm. just let's look at this one incident whether it is a, an accident or a planned surgery or unplanned surgery whatever it is you're not just there for that moment you're you're taking the holistic view and providing strategies and access to other programs to help that um yes. and, and and also advising on how to manage medication that is a, yes. a huge part of it cuz People are going to need that sometimes, but it's it's taking it. What I hear uh, both you and Catherine saying, it, you know, taking the medication when you need it, but not not coming to rely on it. Find other ways to to manage the pain. Um, and I, I I'll just say, as you mentioned before, we we did. I shared with you in a previous conversation that I had teeth pulled a few years ago and got a ten day supply mm-hmm. of um, uh, prescription strength painkillers, and I took one pill and had twenty nine sitting in the medicine cabinet oh. for two years probably. Um, and, and nowadays for FSBP members, you know, for that acute need, they would, they would be limited to no more than a seven day supply. And for pediatrics, yeah. it's even a, a four day supply rules are different for chronic and terminal patients and so forth, but, um, we're, we're approaching it that way. And we offer options also for disposing of it. So people don't run into the same problem I do, or I did, I should say that it's just sitting there and and right. maybe it's a temptation, um, sometime when, when you're feeling some pain, Um, unrelated to the original diagnosis. I also want to say, I thank you for mentioning, you know, chronic musculoskeletal issues and things like Mm -hmm. that. We have other programs um, like hinge health, which we'll actually explore in an episode next month that, that address that. But some of these things can be addressed in a coaching situation. Um, There's so many strategies when you have a professional coach like those at Trestle tree who can offer that advice, take it, answer the phone when they call. Or if you're like me, let them leave a message and call them back. Um, but, but take advantage of those opportunities. And if you're overseas and we don't get that pre-certification information, so go ahead and the, the, the numbers in there are all included at the end of the episode, but, but don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you know, the, these people have expertise, Becky and her team and, and Catherine and her team are there to help. Um, and these services are offered at no cost to FSBP members um, who want and, and to take advantage of them. I also want to take a moment though and, and mention that prevention is not possible for everybody. Um, the, these drugs are, are meant to solicit a response in our systems. They they have a higher likelihood of addiction. And we, we heard about the science behind that before we know that addiction is a medical issue and, and whether we still call it addiction, whether we call it substance use disorder, whatever phrase we use it is a medical issue. There's still a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, and, and we're all about, in, with this podcast and with Aspa generally removing the stigma around seeking treatment, seeking support for medical issues. Yeah. How do we do that, Becky?
2: Yeah. And Kyle, I so appreciate you talking about this because as, as you're indicating, this continues to, to be a huge problem today and keeps a lot of people from getting the, the help they need. My answer is simple. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Uh, take a risk and share your story if you have struggled with substance use disorder. Um, Take a risk and raise your hand for help if you are struggling um, with substance use. Ask others to share their story uh, if you know that they have struggled. Offer to be there for others if they are struggling. The more we talk about substance use disorders and hear personal stories, the less stigma there is around them. Silence is absolutely deadly when it comes to addictions. And it is human nature to feel shame and to isolate from others when we're suffering. When people share their stories, they feel understood. And when we hear other people's stories, we feel compassion. And so I think both of these things will absolutely help reduce stigma and shame, just as something like this podcast to, to help people start thinking about this and talking about it more.
1: I I hope so. And I hope if anybody's listening, who's feeling that give Trestle Tree a call, reach out. We can, we can, we've got programs to help and let's talk about what some of that treatment might look like. And, And I think this is an opportunity to Catherine and Becky, for both of you to weigh in. Um, but as the prevalence of substance use disorder has grown, we've also seen increases in innovations in the approaches and the options for treatment. So you know, we, we think back, maybe there's a 12-step program. Maybe we're talking about outpatient um, or partial inpatient or even full inpatient treatment. There's, there's a wide variety. Uh, Becky, I'll ask you to kick off if you can tell us a little bit about some of the treatment options that are available. And, and then, Catherine, if you'll weigh in with, with um, some of the, the knowledge you have.
2: Mm -hmm. Great, sure. Yeah, in addition to some medication therapies that Catherine will talk about, there are, as you mentioned, a lot of different counseling and behavior therapies for substance use disorders. What we know is that no one therapy fits everyone. And the great news is that there are therapies to help everyone. So, in terms of modality, substance use disorders can be treated on an outpatient or inpatient basis, as you mentioned. Sometimes people may start with a lower level of treatment, and then if they're not successful with that, then they'll progressively move to higher levels of care. Uh, Other times, based on the severity of someone's struggles with substance use disorder, they may need to go to a higher level of care initially. Um, For outpatient treatment, Uh, A lot of times, uh, someone can start by working with an individual therapist to focus on their behaviors. That's a great option because it really allows the therapy and the treatment to be tailored for that person, for their health, for their life, and to have, again, that trusted other to work with over the long run. Other people may prefer a group setting, and so a 12-step group like Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, And a lot of times there's recommendations that someone may pursue both individual therapy combined with the 12-step group so they get the added social uh, support through the group. Um, There's even an intensive outpatient treatment where someone can do uh, really extended hours of both group and individual treatment. The the great thing about intensive outpatient, though, um, being a step down from inpatient, is that people can still either work. And or sleep at home at night. Um, And so it's it's a great intensive option that allows people um, if if it is applicable for them to continue to to work and, and be with their family. Um, And we know there's inpatient or residential treatment, which can vary in time and offers a safe place for someone to get help. Um, And there are even long-term residential communities. One of the things that I'd I'd recommend, um, and then I'll let uh, Catherine jump in also with some medication therapies, is I always encourage someone to talk with their doctor or therapist to discuss the right treatment options for them. Uh, and there are organizations, treatment centers, et cetera, um, that actually offer assessments to help guide this decision too. So uh, finding the right treatment option is important, and there are certainly um, people who can assist with that.
1: And, and Becky, thank you very much. Catherine, uh, Becky mentioned some uh, medication-assisted treatment Um I, you and I've talked a little bit before about morphine equivalent dose and and some other terms for that. I'm wondering if you can dive in a little bit on um on these these medication assisted therapies, the options that are available to um, to help.
0: Sure, absolutely. And as Becky said, there's the the therapy side of treatment along with and oftentimes used alongside medications to help deal with the physiological part of the addiction and how we get through that. Um, When you talk about morphine equivalents or morphine milligram equivalents, um, it's terminology that's used in in the medical arena. And it's how we determine um, different uh, seeds of opioids and the doses that are equivalent to one another, because one of the biggest dangers in using opioids, whether they're prescription or whether it's um, outside of that, is that switch among them, the doses, actual milligrams, are not the same. And so we use morphine as almost our, our baseline or our, um, the one that we compare all others to so that we know how to adjust the doses to achieve equivalent dosing with a different opioid and avoid putting in someone into a state of overdose. Um, it can be really, really important when you're especially getting to higher levels of opioid therapy or you're dealing with what we call opioid naive individuals who don't have experience taking opioids in their past And so uh, you really want to be extra careful in making sure you're not giving them too much to start. Um, And then again, knowing where someone is trying to taper that down with other medications, it's important to understand how to to, to keep everybody in a sense on the same page um, when you're transitioning among different therapies. Um, In addition to that, I'll jump in and talk a little bit about some of the medication options there are to uh, assist someone with overcoming an overdose and in a few different categories so the first is uh, naloxone. Which is a medication that, that we've probably heard of more in the recent couple of years than we have ever in the past. And naloxone, as many of us know, is the, the immediate reversal agent for an opioid and, and oftentimes now used for individuals who are experiencing an overdose. There have been great legislative efforts in the recent years to make this medication more available, more readily available, um, because it's life saving. Um, and we need to know that we have access to it uh, when we need need it because it is crucial that, that we obtain it in a timely manner.
1: Um, Um, Can I, can I ask a quick question about that? Because I I know that, that we make that available to our members and, and I think it's also usually somebody who's maybe on, on chronic opioids for cancer or for another terminal uh, terminal illness or something like that often have this just in case. Is that, is that what you've seen in your, in your um, practice? It
0: can be. So um, really from, from lots of different angles. So for someone who's on high dose opioid therapy, um, there can be any any number of things that could, for whatever reason, tip someone over into experiencing an overdose type situation. And so um, because of the, the how critical that is, that if someone would slip into that at any moment, that you would have that reversal agent uh, right there, ready to go. And and it's not something you would have time to call the doctor and then go to the pharmacy and get it. So it it is something that is kept on hand uh, as an EpiPen or something else would be available. And it's used like an EpiPen essentially, but, um, something that's always there in case of emergency. And so, and again, it really is considered that, that life-saving modality that someone would keep on hand just in case, Um, we've even gone so far as to to make it available even to those who are using uh, opioids illicitly. So if you have a family member that you know is, is a user illicitly, um, there have been legislative efforts to allow even family members to obtain naloxone to keep on hand, to, to save a person's life should they need to, if they know they have someone at known risk. Um, that, that's how important it is and how much we want to make it available because at the end of the day, it's about saving
1: lives. Thank you. And, and are there other medication-assisted, I, I took us off track a little bit yeah. there, but are there other medication-assisted therapies that that you'd like to share that, that might be useful to those who are listening?
0: Absolutely. So that, that was really more that acute treatment. So when we get back to talking more about what Becky was talking about, as far as the, those long-term um, getting someone over their addiction or away from opioid use. There are a couple of medications specifically that come to mind, uh, both buprenorphine and um, methadone. And both of these medication options bind to opioid receptors. They do so more slowly or they don't stimulate the receptor as strongly as some of the opioids we consider using more oftentimes for pain. And they also, um, they don't create that euphoria feeling. So people don't get the high from taking these medications. Um, The benefit is that by by using them, you avoid the symptoms of withdrawal, um, you reduce cravings over time. And so they're medications that can be used in place of opioids to help someone overcome some of the, the psychological aspects of their addiction, the physical aspects of their addiction. And then you slowly taper those medications off over time with the goal of of getting somebody completely off opioid medication. The other one I'll mention is called naltrexone, and it is um, one that we would consider using more so for a long-term maintenance type situation. So for somebody who is no longer using opioids, in a sense, maybe they don't trust themselves from a relapse or they feel like they're at high risk for that, or they're just not quite ready to, um, to go back out in the real world and and be responsible for what could happen. Um, and so they're really, it is more of a medication used for relapse prevention. Basically it works by completely binding to opioid receptors and blocking the response. So if someone were taking naltrexone and they would also take an opioid, essentially they, they wouldn't get any response from it because all of those receptors would be already blocked so they wouldn't get a high they wouldn't get the release of hormones um it would be essentially a a no no action outcome um so by preventing that reward response you can deter an individual from from going back down that That, slippery slope
1: that's truly fantastic that there are so many options out there, both to address, as we talked about the psychological aspects, mm-hmm. as well as the physiological aspects that, that come with substance use, um, and, and finding solutions if you feel like you're struggling with it. So thank you all so much for sharing that. I want to ask you if you've got, before we wrap up, if you all have any final thoughts, um, Catherine, you first, and then Becky, uh, I'll ask you to, to give us the last word.
2: Right.
0: Thank you. I, you know, I, My final thought is really that it's never too late to ask for help. Um, There is is not one of us who is free of risk of opioid addiction, of substance use disorder. And there is potential for us to engage in that behavior every time an opioid is prescribed. Um, And really, I think, as we've said throughout this podcast, that there is help available. Um, and, And again, my final message is every life is worth it. So please take advantage of the help
2: that's available out there. Becky. Great. And Kyle, thanks for uh, having us join today, this podcast, and for the opportunity to to work with your members. You know, I really would um, echo what Catherine said, and I I would add to that, um, uh, encourage each person to extend grace to themselves. Um, Life is messy and change is hard, um, and pain complicates that. Um, we are so much harder on ourselves than we are on others. Um, there is a really slippery slope when it comes to opioids. And so um, we encourage people to get support early, proactively, uh, and to know that there are additional ways to manage their pain uh, and and to live well.
1: Well, Catherine Lurk, Becky Parker, thank you all for being such a big part of that support that's available you all and your teams um, and everybody at trestle tree being there for our members. I really appreciate it. I know they do. Um, And, and grace is so important to all of us. Tell your stories um, and and share that and don't be afraid to ask for help. So thank you. Thank you everybody.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: If you would like to learn more about the programs offered by trestle tree, in conjunction with the Foreign Service Benefit Plan, contact a health coach at 855-406-5122 or 479-973-7168. Coaches are available Monday through Thursday from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also schedule an appointment online at enroll.trestletree.com using passcode FSBP. Thanks for joining us for this episode of ASPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and tell your friends about it. We welcome your feedback on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Look for at ASPA Cares. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Comments offered by the hosts or guests are not intended as medical advice. Please direct questions about your personal health needs to a provider. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Special thanks as always to Hannah Wolfhart for producing, editing, and mixing this episode. We'll see you next time.